Betov. Uh, so today's daf is Ayin Hay, and we pick up at the bottom of Ayin Dalal We had three different. Um, we got through the discussion of uh, what do you call it of Chati um, Shir, um, but now we're turning into Yom, to Yom Kippur proper issues and three different sources for how we need to Anu Esnafsher Sechem means uh, fasting, since it's pretty um, generic in the Tsukim, and three derivations. One that learned it out from Malacha, that's an aspect of refraining. One that learned it out from other things the Torah says you can't do in other cases, like don't eat. Um, and the third is certain things, and here everything. And the third is because of Ibud Nefesh, the Havadikif and Nefesh. And I said, I, I, I pointed out that that can correspond to different approaches towards fasting. One, like the Rambam emphasizes Shvita, Shvita from Malacha, Shvita from Ashila a disengagement with the physical world, not really about hurting or afflicting. The second is seeing it as just like a machalos asuras in the Torah. Sometimes you can't, you can never eat chazer, there are times you can't eat comments, and there are times you can't eat all foods. doesn't really explain why, but that's sort of how it's, where, where it anchors it. And the third, that would seem to be much more related to the idea of self-flagellation, self-inflicted punishment, you know, a type of a, something that relates to somehow by doing this process uh, of, of pain and suffering and whatever, this is some part of the tshuva process. Um, Yisurim. Yisurim, right, afflictions. Now, we pick up with that with um, the following. Um, three lines from the wide line. The bay, uh, the, from the beginning of the wide line. So, three lines there. The bay Rabbi Shmuel Tana, the house of Rabbi Shmuel, they taught, Nemarkat Enoi, it says here, afflict, uh, it says in another context of flip. The other context is by the man. It says by that God made you afflicted you and made you go hungry. And then he fed you the man. So there very clearly it's about being going hungry. Here too it means going hungry. So the says, Vinele, if meeting, you can be, be able to drink All right, so, you know, we abstract it a little. One minute, there's a by Lot, where Lot says to Yaakov, if you are me'ane, if you afflict my daughters, which, you know, could have a wide range, all right, could have a wide range, uh, right, could have a wide range of meaning, but presumably in the context of husband and wife relates to certain aspects of either sexual activity or maybe abstaining from sex. So there you see Enoi relates to sex and maybe abstaining from sex. So again, like we sort of suggested before, if you want to find other things the Torah forbids, it's not just food, it's also sex. Maybe that's the primary um, uh, uh, point of the verse. So the Gemara says, um, No, at least it has this shared characteristic. Again, this doesn't really say something about the context of the word Enoi. Well, maybe it does. But anyway, in both of the cases of the Man and of Yom Kippur, it speaks about the community doing it. Whereas in the case of Yaakov, it was talking about an individual. Now, is that just a technical point? Like, you know, it happens to have this word here and this word there, so we make a link. Or is there some sense that there's a communal aspect to the reality of fasting? If everybody somehow is fasting together, although we eat as individuals, somehow you speak about it being a communal fast. Whereas if everybody is not having sex, you know, at home with, you know, with their spouses, you don't speak about it as a communal abstention of sex. I don't know exactly why not. I get exactly what my thing on it because I don't know, sex is obviously much more of a private activity. Eating can be a public activity. And, but nevertheless, when you're all in shul together, you're not doing either. But nevertheless, there is something that is about a communal fast, a communal experience 
of fasting as opposed to the communal aspect of, of abstaining from sex and therefore there really is a difference maybe it's not just a technical point but about the experience of the day to experience the day as a communal fast it is oh. interesting to note that Aristophanes Lysistrata is a communal abstention from sex okay very well, interesting to this, Russia's, <laughs> saying, Russia's saying that the community is the, is the group that was feeding the mom as right. opposed to Laban who's one part Laban. Right, right. all of Qua Yisrael did not were were the man you know ate the man and fat you know sort of were, went hungry without the man and so on on a day to day basis right. where and all of the whole people you know don't eat on Yom Kippur so there's a communal right. whereas the issues with Yaakov and Laban were about individuals right right, right. so the Gemara says okay um, the Gemara says in one minute there's an Enoi in Egypt what's the Enoi God saw our affliction and we say in the Haggadah it's quite interesting like this interpretation of that verse is like you know seen as like you know already by the time of Gemara well established Mesorah of interpreting that verse that they were forced to separate from their you know from having sex and that applied to the entire people so, the Gemara, so that's also a communal a, you know a, a something that applies to a, a something the entire people abstained or were withheld um, so the Gemara says um, so this really is a more technical point which is that the case of the man and the case of the um, of the Yom Kippur is something that is decreed from God decreed from above and therefore we'll link those and we won't link the story with Lavan and Yaakov where they're talking about something as they as individuals not something that is divinely ordained uh, that seems to be a more technical point, but that allows us to focus on the case of the man. Now that we mentioned the case of the man, we're going to spend the next um, daf, at least, talking about the man. So this is very fascinating that this Gemara is now going to completely shift gears and focus on the man and on related topics, the man, the slav, and so on. And the one thing I want you to be thinking about as we're learning this Gemara, other than that it's a digression, and somewhere in Shasta the Gemara wants to talk about the man, so why not talk about it here, is the interesting sort of the juxtaposition of discussions of fasting with the, what we're going to see, which is like a disquisition on the issues of eating and divinely sort of controlled and ordained eating. How do we religiously think about food? How do we religiously think about fasting? So uh, it's interesting to just keep that in mind as we see what now this extended discussion about issues related to eating. So let's take a look. Um, so Dumai says like this. So God gave you man in the midbar. He said you man in order to afflict, afflict you. What was the affliction of getting the man? So Ravami Ravasi. Chadamar one says, The difference is, is that you have to, you don't have, you don't have anything stored up for the next day. And even if every day you get the man, it's not the same. Somebody has bread in his basket, bread in the cupboard, and somebody whose cupboard is, is empty. And every single day he has to go to the market and to get his bread. And therefore that sense of dependency and that sense of not being able to be sort of confident and, uh, and you know, insecurity, lack of security uh, about the food, that is a sense of enoy, that is a sense of affliction. Um, and also, obviously, instills a sense of dependency on God. The Chadam, the other one said, no, the difference is, this is quite fascinating, I don't think it ever would have occurred to any of us, you, when you ate the man, you, it all looked the same. You did not get the aesthetic 
the visual experience of eating. You know, when you make food, you know, they, it's important. You know, you make it not only make it taste good, you make it look nice, you arrange it nice on the plate, all those types of things. It's like a fully, you know, sort of sensory experience. And when we know the way, the way it appears affects the how how good it tastes and affects the you know really? how satisfied you are from that experience it's of eating. Fifty percent of eating is visual. Really, yeah. quite fascinating. So um, I smell, but smell is interesting because smell is very much related to taste. Half of your smell is the food goes up through your nasal passages when it goes into your mouth. So the smell really is very much part of the taste. But yes, so I did not know her here that statistic about fifty percent. Look, it's the Gemara's right. emphasis about why you're supposed to like. Uh, Shabbos candles because what it means to be eating in light as opposed to eating in the dark um, and um, so it's quite fascinating the Enoi of the man was the fact that all you got was the taste and that it filled you and you didn't get the full sensory experience it's interesting um, Rashi co- like you're saying he coordinates the olfactory experience with the visual experience if I eat the man and it tastes like an apple yeah I don't want to see an apple exactly <laughs> and then someone else eats Right. So you know, so again I think an interesting question to think about is right, the end of the Pasuk is right? The simple sense of the verse is it all comes from God and your dependency from on God. And A, knowing where it comes from, and B, if anything, the first interpretation of the Gemara, that you don't have paspasalo. Every day you would recognize your dependency on God. You know, the other explanation to sort of see the religious significance of that, you know, maybe again, maybe it's this very ascetic, not, as, not aesthetic, ascetic idea that, you know, it's to, to be a real, you know, we should just be focused on you know on, on filling us uh, you know on sort of having the calories to have the energy to serve God and you know we shouldn't be focused on the more you know experiential sensual experience although again that's a very ascetic type of a approach um, so the Gemara says um, okay the Amr of Yosef so um, so and said Rav Yosef so maybe I'm reading too much into it but you know the Pesukim are trying to frame it positively here they're framing what the downside of it was um, so Amr so um, um, Amr Rav Yosef said Rav Yosef who was blind Mikan Remez Vesumin this gives you a, a, a alludes to you for about blind people Sha'ochlin Deinam Sveim they eat and they're never fully satisfied because they don't have the visual experience of the eating. So not only does it mean that you don't have the pleasure of the eating, I think there's even a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a push, you know, of, of, of ratcheting it up that you don't even fully get, like, filled. You don't get fully satisfied because you lack that, that experience. So we're not I know. So that's, you know, that seems to be, like, it's a little funny because the psukim, you know, even though it uses the word inu, it uses it in the context of a positive religious message whereas you're not getting that sort of being spelled out here Amar Baye Hilkach therefore Mandi if you have a meal to eat Lo Mama eat it in the day in order that you can enjoy it and experience it you know it's sort of like you know I mean you know people in hospitals hospitals that are hooked up to IVs or you know the astronauts or whatever it was that they ate I don't know now maybe eat more normal food but you know you can get all the calories and still be very hungry because you didn't have that experience of eating Amr of Zerah, my crop, 
What's, meant, where, what, um, what's the verse that supports it? Tov, mara halach nafesh. Better is the vision of the eyes than the sort of satisfaction of the soul, the going of the soul, the satisfaction of the soul. So the seeing of the eyes is a, even better than, or at least a very central experience to that, you know, to that, um, essential, to that experience. Amresh Lakish, now we're going to po- talk about this pasta. We actually had a comment like this before about It's better, you know, it, the, the, the visual uh, sort of attraction of a woman, obviously talking from a man's perspective, but like the, you know, sec- sort of the, vis- the visuals of the se- sort of sexual, that lead to sexual seduction or, you know, um, um, uh, those, that is more important, that is sort of in a way more satisfying than the actual act itself. Better is the vision of the eyes than the actual sort of satisfaction of the soul. Well, no, no. Nafesh here actually, if you looked at in the English translations of Kohelet, and this gets back to a point I made before about Te'anuas Nafshos Eichem, they speak about Nafesh as like the appetite, or, you know, Nafesh in some, as I said, Semitic cognates can mean appetite or throat, and therefore some want to say Te'anuas Nafshos Eichem does have a very sort of anchored meaning in this idea of fasting. It almost means your body, in a way. Yeah, but more than just, right, but more, yes, but specifically the sort of you know appetitive aspects of it anyway so so they say that you know the vision is greater than the satisfying of the appetite appetite um, and you think how often that satisfying yeah again so uh, that, exactly right. Right. right okay he came because he know because he will give his eyes um, in, in, the, in the, the the beginning of the verse is do not be drawn after wine because of its red color you know because you know you will look at and now it could be read you will put your eye on the cup some translations have this as the appearance of the cup you'll be drawn after the appearance I mean the appearance anyway you will look at the cup you'll be drawn after the appearance of the cup and you'll go like straight away meaning you'll be drawn straight away after it so let's see what the Gemara does with this don't be drawn after it you'll be pulled after it and then you'll be single mindedly focusing it anybody that puts his eye on his cup meaning focuses too much indulges too much in his drinking um, so everything then it's everything will be flat everything will be permissible you know you'll think you, you know you, 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 you get drunk or whatever you, you know and you, te- and you, you, uh, you you make yourself believe that there's no restrictions and you can do whatever you want um, yeah, there's no thing in the puzzle about arayot, but you know, again, maybe the association with drinking and eating is associated with arayot, as we're going to see. Anyway, that's how he interprets it. When you, if you drink, everything becomes permissible. That's the next one. That's the next one. Uh, the other one says kola eno kola to be sure that if you overly indulge in your drinking, the whole world appears permissible. What does it mean, the whole world? So Rashi says it means that you know everybody. Else says money is permissible to you. You feel you can steal. You again, you justify doing things. Now the Marsha says on this, it's not just that if you allow yourself to get drunk, like you know, you you give yourself more license to act out on your desires. That's the first one. Here he says you need to support your habit. 
so that uh, that you'll justify stealing and taking other people's money as a way of supporting your habit. And that's how he reads it. Right, exactly, exactly. As opposed to the first one, which is it gives you license to indulge in your fantasy and in, in your desires and your lusts. The Maharsha. Okay. Dagavalev ish yishchena. That this is the end of that verse. A, but you know, a uh, um, although this will, you know, you're, if you're drawn after, excuse me, it's not the end of that verse. It's a different verse. Excuse me. Um, uh, if you're drawn, but if you're drawn after, you know, uh, desires, anguish in the heart of a person will sort of subdue your desires. So now the Gemara is going to interpret this. Ravami Ravasi. That if you have anguish, you should try to sort of remove it from your mind. You know, you should try to do other things to distract yourself. Watch TV, go to a ball game, do something. This is something that the, uh, this is a message from your psychiatric uh, association. You should talk about it with other people. If you have anguish and things that are bothering you, find someone you can talk to about it. Don't try to distract yourself. Okay. And again, they're just quoting Rav Ami and Rav Asis that are debating different verses. So that's the theme here. Okay, once what, two separate verses from Mishlei, now verse from Yeshayahu, and the, 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 the serpent, the snake, his bread, his food is the dust. Rav Ami Rav Asi. Again, a debate of Rav Ami and Rav Asi. That the snake, even if he eats the most del- greatest delicacies in the world, they taste like dust. Everything tastes like dust. It's sort of like the opposite of the man. Here he gets the, he eats everything and it all tastes the bland and the same. As opposed to the man, it was all bland and the same type of uh, object, but then it could taste, as we're going to see, as you know the Midrash, it could have all different types of taste. So this is like the reverse of that. No matter what he eats, it all tastes like dust. The serpent. It serves him right. Even he eats the greatest delicacies, he's never satisfied until he eats dust. He, only the eating of dust will really satisfy. This, the snake. God's ways are not the ways of, of flesh and blood. The way of flesh and blood is if you're trying to like get back at your friend, you uh, go down with him into his uh, livelihood, meaning that you're always trying to find ways to to get at, to get at him and to undermine him and to you know to cause him to um, you know to cause him to suffer. God isn't that way. God curses people or whatever snakes and others, and, but nevertheless, He has rachmanus on them even at the time He's cursing them. He curses the snake. Oh, little God, but look, there's a hidden blessing in it. The snake can go up on a roof. He's got what to eat. He's got the dust on the roof. I mean, you don't, snakes don't actually eat dust, but okay. The Gemara is being very literal. He's on the ground. Wherever the snake goes, there she's, uh, he has food. So yes, it's a curse. Nobody's denying it's a curse, but even within the curse, God gave had Rachmanus. Okay, and he makes it livable and, t- and manageable. He cursed Kinan. Okay, it's a curse. He's a slave, but at least he gets. You know, it's not a complete. He doesn't completely destroy the person. He benefits from his master's table. He cursed the woman, right, about the travails of childbirth. So, you know, but even so, there's a strong sexual desire. It's not like people, so even with that curse, there's something to counteract it. He cursed the ground. Yes, it's true. But nevertheless, it's the source of everybody's sustenance. So it's not absolute. There are these sort of, you know, counterbalancing things, or at least these uh, silver linings. Okay. What about, what about man? 
yeah, that we didn't discuss. Zacharnu es adagach and ochav b'mitzrayim chinam. Now, so that was a little digression of Ravami of Ravasi. Now, on a digression. Now we're getting back to discussing. The, ma, the eating in the Midbar, which is the larger theme here. So we just started with the Mun, and now we're going to get to them complaining, right? Okay, So what's Chinam? Oh, first of all, what's the Daga? What is the fish? One says, it's fish! Chadamar Arayot. The other says, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? A, um, um, a euphemism for sex. Rashi says, like, the Gula Rove. When it speaks about to, uh, you know, to uh, populate or to, you know, to appropriate. So the other says it refers to sex, so that they were bemoaning their loss of greater sexual freedom. That we ate. If it means sex, what does it mean? I share no chal. Fine, we'll get to no chal in a minute, but it means free. Now, what does free mean? So, Rashi says it means that you have the freedom, you didn't have the restrictions. But if it means the fish and the food, why would, why would that be, have been free in Egypt? So if it says free, it must not be literally meaning food. One that says it means sex, that we will eat. Yeah, eating is used to refer to sex. She eats and she sort of wipes her mouth, and this is a euphemism for her, you know, her genital area. The Amra Lopaltiyav, and she says, I didn't do anything wrong. So therefore, this is uh, talking about an act of sex is very much used the word of eating. It's quite fascinating. It such, uses such a graphic verse if you translate it that way as opposed to like by, you know, Yosef, you know, Kima Lecha Mosheru Ochel and other types of verses it could have quoted. Anyway, uh, that I don't know. If it's free, what do you mean the fish were free? Yeah, the fish would come from Hefker, from, you know, from unowned property. Because we talked when the Jewish people would draw water in Mitzrayim, you know, for the bricks. Tiny little fish who would come up in their uh, buckets. Okay, so it was free. If you say it means fish, good. Then we, because then we don't have to say that they were, you know, um, unrestrained when it came to sexual matters. And that's what's meant by the verse. That my sister is a, like, sealed garden. You know, again, referring to Kla Yisrael and that they protect themselves sexually, they're chaste sexually. And, uh, read, very, read here, a lot of Shirshin is, you know, can be read in the context of the Geula from Mitzrayim, the first, like, love affair with God and B'nai Yisrael, so that they were actually chaste in sexual matters. But if you say that they were actually bemoaning their sexual freedom that they had lost, what does it mean a sealed well? Again, well also being a very much of a metaphor for... Um, you know, for 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 the woman and uh, and and the sexual organs. So or the woman's actually actually. So what does it mean? A sealed well? No. What it means was was that the ones that they were forbidden for as bnei noah that they they kept what they should have been keeping. They weren't sort of they didn't have they they, they weren't putzim. They weren't like you know 
sexually unrestrained before they became B'nai Yisrael, before they left Mitzrayim. They kept the laws of B'nai Noach. They didn't have adultery. They didn't have with their relatives. But what they were bemoaning was the fact that now, now they had new sexual restrictions. So we're not claiming that they were sexually, that, that, that they acted inappropriately before. They did act appropriately. But they were bemoaning the, the additional sexual restrictions. Nida, additional, additional arayot, additional relatives that B'nai Noach aren't forbidden in. That's what they were bemoaning. But not that they did anything wrong before. Okay, so So if you say it was sex that they were the, the, the sexual restrictions was what they were bemoaning Moshe heard the people crying you know to their families so what does that mean? famous Gemara because Rashi quotes it on the Pasuk they were crying about issues relating to the family that they couldn't sleep next to them that either means next to them next to certain relatives because only a small number of the relatives are forbidden for B'nai Noach or I, I think it could mean Nida because the whole issue that a husband and wife can't sleep together in the same bed by Nida which is okay it's rabbinic but it wouldn't be the last time that the Gemara sort of uh, you know retro you know read back rabbinic re- realities into things in the Psukim so they were crying about this loss of this uh, you know uh, or this uh, restri- greater restrictions within sexual matters um, but if they were talking about the fish and that's what they were talking about what does it mean crying with their families I know what the pshat means um, so the man says you know what it's true they were upset about both so they were also crying about that but the big thing they were complaining about at least the pasuk about the chayin wasn't talking about that okay they were crying because they couldn't have sex and they were crying because they couldn't have flounder exactly okay. <laughs> exactly it's everything it's all part of a much more a restrictive lifestyle. All right. What? Yeah, but they know are not our usher. You know, there's a. I don't want to get into, it, but there's a whole question about which are the arayot for but they know. I mean, I for example, a wife's sister, you know, an aunt or whatever, you know, you know. So right, exactly. So a lot of those things are not are not in the shevah mitzvah for they know. I don't know. They all got the family together and cried. I, I I don't know. Okay, so okay. Now continuing the verse, right? The uh, gourds and the uh, um, the melons. Ravami Ravasi. Back to Ravami and Ravasi. Chadamar one says. Um, Tam kol haminim tamu b'man. Tam hamish is haminim alalu lo tamu. Why are they specifically talking about? Why specifically those? I mean, yeah, anyway, what about the man? So we have to explain why the man wasn't, you know, wasn't answering their need for these things. So he said, you know what? In the man you could taste anything. There were five things you couldn't taste. The, mel- the taste of melon, the taste of gourds, the taste of onions, the taste of garlic. And that's what they complained about. Those things, five things that they weren't able to taste in the man. The other one says, you know what? They taste anything in the man. But everything else, they not only tasted it, but they also had the experience of the physical object, meaning the texture. You know, if you bite into an, if you bite into a, uh, yeah. uh, right, you know, if you have soup, you don't want it to taste like a pretzel, right? When you want a pretzel taste, you want to have that, mu- you know, that chomp. And when you have, you know, you, have, you want the texture. That's part of the eating experience. So everything else, they had the texture as well. But these five, the halalu, taman they only had the taste. They didn't have the 
physical texture experience and that's how they felt deprived. So it's very interesting connecting back to the Gemara about the sight. Things that are part of the eating experience that are not just about the taste. It's also quite funny because the things at the end of the list, right, Shumim and Bitsalim, right, it's onions and garlic. For most people, onions and garlic is all about the taste. I ain't too much about texture by those, but okay, anyway. So that's what they, that, they felt deprived just because of these, this was what made them feel deprived, just the lack of texture of these five things. Um, Okay. So it is like a, it's a man was like a coriander seed white. So the problem is that coriander seeds aren't white. So Amravasi Ago Kigita. It was round. It was Kizragad. It was round like a coriander seed. The Lavan, and it was also white, Kamargalit, like a pearl. Okay. Tanura Banan or Tanya Namihachi God Kizragad Shedomalizerapi. It's like flaxseed in its husks, which is very round, very spherical, and what coriander? Yeah, but it's similar to flaxseed. Yeah. Okay. Achem. I mean, others say God. Shedomelahagada. The man was like the Hagada, like we alluded to the Hagada before. Shemoshechas libosheladam, adam, or like a story that it draws. You know, it draws you after. Like everybody, I have a story to tell you. All of a sudden, everybody wakes up. People are very drawn after a story. So the man, you know, drew people after it. I'm not exactly sure what the point is about that. I mean, it's obvious that people wanted the man because it was their only food, so I'm not exactly sure what the exact point about that was, unless maybe there was more. The smell, other things, drew you after it. Okay. Um, uh, it draws you after like water, like flows. It causes, you know, so the man would have this uh, magnetic pull on people. Uh, I guess maybe that's what it means. Tanya Ida, we've done another brisa. God shemeged lemli Yisrael iben tishalurishon iben shivalachron. Ah, it actually told people things. It by based on where the man fell, you knew whose baby somebody was because the man fell. When you took all the man home, you were left with the number, uh, the amount of omers equivalent to the number of people in your house. So if somebody basically divorced his wife and she got married to another man and she got pregnant right away and you didn't know whose baby it was well you would find out based on the man based on you know how many omers this person would have and how many omers that person would have and that would tell you how many members of the household there were and whether it was this man's baby or that man's baby because obviously it was defined obviously it was de- and obviously it was defined by you know by the man's household okay okay so um, Levan and white it caused the Jewish people's sins to be white. Why? Like sort of the whole, you know, the white of the red string. But Rashi says because since by the next morning, you know, these types of things will be revealed, like committing adultery and it's somebody else's child and all that type of thing, it forces you to be honest. Okay, and we're going to see other types of sins that would be revealed based on the man. So, uh, oh, that's a very good point. That's uh, you're right. You're right. I'm jumping, I'm, I'm tying it in too much in the next tomorrow. Thank you for that. Yeah, Rashi is more the simple sense of the pasuk about you know said the dependency on God. So thank you. Let's look at that first Rashi on the t- second column. He says, And you're right. That's the more basic. That's the more shot point of the psukim is that your basic 
sense that every day you were dependent on God led to a much more sense of humility and subjugation and recognition of God and led to a much more type of a religious, um, you know, of, or a careful watching, practice of how you would act. And this is what I do want to say about thinking about this as, you know, a shift. We're all talking about fasting as a religious experience. Here we're talking about eating as a religious experience. So on the one hand, we're talking about things that are important for making eating pleasurable and satisfying. You know, is there a hidden message there that we shouldn't be so focused on that? I didn't hear that so much. Um, although, you know, again, um, that, but that's one aspect. On the, other, the other thing, though, that we heard, you know, was, um, was about, like, you know, having... Uh, uh, what it means to have like overly you know never being satisfied overly indulgent the whole thing about overly indulgent in the wine but then we also talked about you could taste everything except for five things and even those five things maybe all you didn't get was the texture and you still weren't satisfied you know so a certain recognition about how you know about how deprived we can make ourselves believe to be when uh, certainly like as Americans when we're surrounded with so much plenty you know and it's like oh yes they have this but you know they don't have the diet soda that I want you know they don't have that or whatever so so that's, I think, another like little religious message. But then, particularly here, I think that um, is the idea about how um, um, you know about how eating can, you know, again, it's very hard for us to recreate the reality of the man. But how this uh, the experience of the man is an eating that brings home recognition of God, you know, and how that is could be a part of a reality, a, re- a part of a religious reality of eating, which is so not just sort of the uh, the um, you know uh, ways in which eating can uh, can can be an overindulgence, but the way in which it's possible for eating to be a religious experience is something that is being communicated here. So let's continue with this. Um, okay. Um, so the says like this: Tiny we turn to Brisa. Rabbi Yosi Omer, Kishem Shenavi Hayamagidlam LiYisrael Mashe B'Chorin Mashe B'Stakim. The same way a prophet would tell people what's in their nooks and crannies, their hidden things, in a, you know, and reveal to them things that they're trying to hide from other people. Kachaman Magidlam LiYisrael Mashe B'Chorin Mashe B'Stakim. Would tell people what's hidden, what the, the, the skeletons they're trying to hide in their closet. Kate said, how is this possible? Shnaim Shabbalis named Moshe Ledin. Two people came to Moshe for judgment. Zelmer Avdigan after. One says, you stole my slave. Zelmer Atamachartali. I didn't steal it. You sold him to me. I'm going to Moshe Leboker Mishpah. Let's wait till the morning and it'll be, uh, it'll all be clarified in the morning. Lemachar, Inimsa Omer Bevais Rabbo Rishon. So if, if the, if the first master had an extra Omer, that means the slave belonged to the first master. So Biadur Shezeh Ganvo. So it was stolen in the hand of the second guy. If the slave's Omer, you know, the extra Omer was found in the house of the second man, you saw that it was a legitimate sale. Husband and wife, he said, she, you know, spoiled against me, meaning she did, you know, she did an offense to me, very well mean adultery, but she did some offense to me, and therefore I should divorce her without a is presumably the issue. The Yomer No, he did something offensive to me, and I'm entitled to be divorced like with a ksuva. I mean, that would how, how it would translate in contemporary halacha. So Amalem Moshe, so Moshe said, Leboker Mishpat, let's wait till the next morning. Lemachar, okay, now there here is a whole question about what the girsa is. Our girsa is, Inimsa Omer Bevais Balaf, if the Omer was in the husband's house, Biadur Shi Sarcha Alaf. She 
sinned against him. Which is funny, because that means, like, her omer's in the husband's house. She's still part of the husband's household. But, you know, if she sinned against him, then they should be headed for a divorce. Why is the, what's the omer doing in the house? Right? Who cares whose fault it was, you know? If it's in her father's house, so then she belongs to her father's house. It was his, it was his fault. So that's a little bit bizarre, because whose house the omer was in determines, determines whether she's headed for divorce or not. Why should that be an issue of whose fault it is? So some have the reverse girsa, which is that if it was in his house, then it was his fault. If it's his fault, he doesn't have to divorce her. The question of divorce is all under his control. So if he's the one that did something wrong, he ain't getting divorced. However, if it were her fault, right, so then it was found in her father's house because then he is going to divorce her. So anyway, it's a little bit unclear what exactly is going on here. Yes. I don't understand that assumption here. It's like the man just shows up, like the Urim and Thummim, like are lighting up. No, 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 no. You gather the man, but it's Omer Lagugoles. When you get home and you measure how much you have, you'll only have the number of Omers based on the people in your household. So you could have collected ten Omers of man, but if you have seven people in your household, when you get home, there'll only be seven Omers. It'll be only seven, right? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so therefore, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you had a question, Jonathan? If the Omer is in her father's home, that the husband had been. That's our girsa. But I was just saying that that's a little bit hard to understand. Why, if the husband did the wrong thing, does that mean she's in the father's home? Father's home means that she's getting divorced. So why is and if and if she did the wrong thing, it's in the husband's home. Means but she's not getting divorced. The issue was whether he had to take suicide. Yeah, but then that wouldn't connect to where the mun was, because the issue of where the mun was is the question of whose household. Which then the only reasonable way to read this is the mun determines whose household somebody is connected I think they to. Divorced in either way. Like right. So if they're getting divorced in either way, how does the mun show who gets the ksuva? So that's the problem with our girsa. Whereas the other girsa says no. If it was his fault, he's not going to divorce her. He he gets to decide whether to divorce or not. So she's still part of his household if it's her fault he's divorcing her okay when the dew fell on the camp the man would fall on it the other verse says the people went out and they gathered they scattered and they gathered so was it in the machane that's one verse was it just going out so a little bit outside of the camp or was it spreading out far outside of the camp how is this possible Sadiqim, the righteous, Yarod al-Petach Batehem, that the man fell right by their doorstep. Benonim, Yatsu Vavoktu. The Benonim had to go out of their house. And Rishayim, and the wicked people, Shatsu Vavoktu, they had to spread out very far. So again, you see how the man was helpful in identifying, this could never be a way about how it would be Malbin Avonaseim. Every day there's an announcement in the newspaper, whether you're a Tzadik, a Benoni, or Russia, and that the man really, you know, was very much tied in to a question about, you know, proper, um, Proper behavior and sin and, uh, and, and you know and and averus and mitzvos. Okay, ksiv lechem, ksiv ugot, ksiv v'tachanu. One verse refers to it as bread. One to cakes, and one says you had to grind it. It was like wheat. Haketzad tzadikim lechem. For the righteous, it was bread. It was pre-baked. Beinonim ugot, which Rashi says ugot can mean like unbaked bread, like like uh, like dough. Rishayim tachanu brechayim. The rishayim came as uh, as wheat that they had to grind. Oda chublam docha. So 
again, I think that the point here is, I'm not sure how we translate it in our post-man reality, but the point is, is about, you see how eating can also be a religious experience in the right context. It helps if you have the rich getting this and the benonim getting that. It helps if you've got the man coming from heaven and you're dependent on it. How we deal with it now is a different, is, is a question, but you see how even eating can be a religious experience. Okay. Odachubam docha, or they would grind it in a, um, um, uh, what, a pestle. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Rav, Itamar Rabbi Chamar Bachanina, Melamek Shiyar Adam Yisrael, Imamat Tachshitei Nashim, Dabashini Dochbam Docha, why would you have to grind it? It was lechem, it could be eaten. So they're saying it wasn't just the mud, it was things that came with the mud. With the mud came some things that could be used for like perfume for women, and you know, these, these are various spices and aromatic things that you would grind, and that's what they were grinding. So it wasn't just food that they got for the month. They got all these other things to make their life more pleasing. And they cooked it in a, whatever parur is, some type of a pot. Why did they have to cook it? It was already bread. No, because what came with it was also some types of flavors for a pot that they would cook. Rashi says, So going back to the issue of taste, Again, it's pretty funny since, uh, since the, we're gonna, you know, we said the Tom has all these, we haven't said it yet, but we're, we alluded to it that the Tom, we actually did say the Tom tasted, had all these tastes. Well, except for, except for taste. Except for those. Anyway, but maybe even if it has a taste, you want to, you, you know, you want to cook these types of things, again, going to the larger sensory experience. They may view a lot of Odnidavava Boker Baboker, going to the Mishkan, we'll see how that connects. They brought to Moshe a donation every morning. My Baboker Baboker, what does that mean? So, I'm Rabbi Shmua Bar Nachmane, I'm Rabbi they brought Moshe from something that came down daily. So what? They brought Moshe the man? Who needs the man? So how does that help in the Mishkan? No. Together with the man, they got jewels and pearls and all these types and diamonds. And therefore they brought it to Moshe. So not only did they get things for, you know, their sensory, the aromas, perfumes, you know, you know these, these uh, things that, uh, they, that they could, uh, that, that would taste good, that they could cook. They even, they got wealth. They got jewels and pearls, all these delicious luxuries. So the Hanisi'im, of Nehashoham. So the Nisi'im brought the, uh, the Avnei Hashoham. So, 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 you know, normally it means obviously the, uh, the heads of the tribes. Tana, we turn about Nisim Amash. No, because a Nasi can mean a cloud. The clouds brought the jewels. Because they claimed the, the man fell from the clouds, and the clouds, and, and also with the man came these jewels. Clouds and wind, and there's no rain. But you see the word Nisim means clouds. Okay, so, again, I don't know what the point is about this, other than, like, how wonderful things were in the past. It's not enough to say they got mun on a daily basis, and not enough to say that the mun tasted like anything. Now you have to have, they got perfumes, and they got things to cook, and they got gold, and, and they got pearls and diamonds. Okay. It would taste like a, like a, like a, like a, a smear of oil. So what does that mean? So lishad is read like a shade, a breath. What is a breast that? The, the infant, when he gets the mother's milk, tastes many tastes, right? He says, because it's influenced by the taste of the things that the mother eats, which I believe actually is correct, right? The man, whenever they would eat it, they would discover different tastes. 
I don't know. I knew growing up that they said you know, the, the, the medrash I was told was it could taste whatever you wanted it to taste like. We're not. We haven't exactly said that. We said they would taste all different tastes. That it had all these tastes to it. We didn't exactly say yet. We might say, but we didn't exactly say yet that whatever you wanted it to taste like it would taste like. Okay. Igadami. Some say l'shade mamash. No, like a breast. The same way a breast turns into co- many colors, presumably, uh, I don't know what it means, that, uh, well, whatever, there are different it's, colored it's, skin in the breast. So, it's not a demon? Or, oh, you, oh, that's the shade. Yeah, uh, oh. oh, that's how it's reading. Okay, interesting. Is that how they translated the breast? No, demon? No, 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 so Afaman mitapeich lekamat yamin. So here's mitapeich. There they translate as demon. The note here says Rabbi Abahu expounds on the word lashad as if it refers no, to shad, a woman's that's breast. Bre- that's Rabbi Avahu. Yeah. The, the next, next one. Igadamri. Yeah. So that's demon. demon. Okay, that makes better sense. Five. The, the next one that it translates as demon. No. No, the next one's still breast. Yeah. Breast turns into com- and has many colors. I'm reading about the infant experience. Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, and then the next line. Oh, yes. Turns out she's comparing mine to a demon. A demon. Okay, fine. Makes more sense. All right. So, a demon can change into many colors. Also, change works. Right? Because, I mean, the mind can change into many tastes. So, there's the idea that the mind not only had a panoply of tastes, but it could change tastes, you know, to any type of thing. He'll give you meat in the uh, evening to eat and bread in the morning to satisfy. The meat they asked for improperly because meat is a delicacy. It's not a necessity. And here they were complaining, oh my God, you know, we, you know, all the things we don't have, we need the meat. So it was giving them improperly. What does it mean improperly? It was giving them towards evening time. You know, you don't have too much time to prepare, especially when you don't have electric lights. Okay? So, lechem, shishalu kahogan, bread that they asked for, it was proper. Of course, you need bread. It was giving them first thing in the morning in a proper way. Here the Torah teaches you a, 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 a way of behavior. You should only eat meat at night. Now that's interesting because it's, it's like almost contradicting the message it just said. It says it's Shalokahogan. So maybe Shalokahogan is that they didn't have time to prepare it. But as that it came at night, that was the Shiloka Hogan. But nevertheless, there's another point that they would eat it at night, and that is telling you that that's when you're supposed to eat meat. I don't know what the point about that is, other than that it means that, you know, for us, dinner is the main meal, but it actually makes very little sense why dinner is such a large meal. Why do you want to load up on calories right before you go to sleep? You know, in the Gemara, clearly, it was the early meal in the morning that it's your main meal. Um, so, maybe what, so the point could be that, you know, meat should be a delicacy and eaten sparingly, and maybe like a little special, but it should not be like a type of if you eat it in the middle of the day you're going to want to fill yourself up with it a lot um, so that's I think a possible explanation of why the emphasis of the night of course what does that do with the earlier Gemara that you don't enjoy things when you're eating them in the dark so let's take a look so it says 
Didn't we just say a daf ago that if you have a meal you should eat it in the day? Fine, like the day. As long as you have light, you light some torches, that's also fine. It doesn't literally have to be a meal in the day. But nevertheless, meat should be at night, not in the day. And again, I think it means that you should not have too much meat. I mean, the amount of meat that we Americans have in our diet is like crazy. Okay. Originally, the Jewish people were like these uh, chickens that they would, uh, you know, they would peck in the uh, in the uh, dung heap or whatever in the garbage dump. Until Moshe said, "No, you have to have regular times of a meal. You know, morning you eat bread, evening you eat night." Now, to me, it's like, oh my God, does that explain like the American experience? Or certainly, you know, the just having a stocked refrigerator at home and every five minutes you're getting up and like noshing and saying, "Oh, what do we have?" Or, you know, you're nibbling throughout the day. It's not how a man eats. You have a morning meal, you have an afternoon meal. You don't have snacks. You're not constantly eating some type of a derech eretz. Okay. Um, by the way it also could relate to the other issue before about just complaining about the small few indulgences that they didn't have you know again I can't help but just connect this to the overly you know uh, uh, indulgent American experience with you know food and you know and all of these types of I'm not like I'm not so guilty I'm not, you know equally guilty myself but anyway you know the fact that we're constantly notching and there's all of this junk food out there and every little deprivation is a big problem that we can't have it so anyway so we were constantly they were constantly noshing until Moshe said no you have a meal in the morning meal in the evening the meat was between their teeth for a month did they eat it for a month or did they get wiped out on the first day so the people that were average not you know they were somewhat sinning but they weren't so bad so they, their zechus was that they died immediately. That as soon as they were eating it, you know, that's when it says that they dropped dead. Rishayim, the wicked people, mitzvahim v'hochim at cholish yomim, they had a stomach ache for a month until they died at the end of the month. Okay, the yishtuchu, and they spread out, right? Lahem shatoach, svivot ha-machaneh. So the, you know, this slav spread out. So, so, um, or God spread the slav out. Amar Yishlakish, al tzihi vayishtachu, that they, it was spread, it was spread out. Ela vayishachitu, they shechted. Melamish in Yishchayvu, sonem shayisho shechita. They were all deserving to be shechted, all the Jewish people, because of their complaining for this, for the, for the, for the meat, and then their way that they, you know, that they just, uh, uh, you know, the, the lust with which they ate the meat, and, you know, that they scourged themselves on the meat. Wait, Yeah, that's a euphemism. We don't want to say it about, about the Jewish people. Sonehem shell, yeah, always means, 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 uh, like, Sonehem shell tamidei chachamim we had before, which meant tamidei chachamim. Um, okay. Shatoach, a spreading out. Tanamish made Rebbe Yoshua ben Karcha. Altiki Shatoach ela Shachut, again. But here a different point. A little, a little, you know, whatever, uh, uh, less, less intense point. That the Slav was something that needed to be shechted. This is the basis that you have to shecht a fowl. I'm a rabbi. Is this where you learn the idea that you have to shecht fowl? God caused to fall down to them like dust, you know, the uh, sustenance, and like the, the, the sand of the sea, the birds. 
So it says that. So I don't know what he's trying to prove that, except that the that the Slav came with the man. I mean, we already know that the Slav came down. Anyway, that's how you know that the bird, but it didn't come with the man. The man was in the morning. The Slav was in the evening. Anyway, here's a verse that communicates that idea that uh, that the that the that the birds came with the man. And about the idea of shchita, about your point about teaching you that they needed shchita, we have another basis. Vitanya, Rebbe Omer, v'zavachta kasher tziviticha. You shall slaughter as I have commanded you. Okay, this is the Pasuk in Zvarim. So where did God command on the slaughter? So we won't worry about the shot of the Pasuk, but according to the Drash, Moshe was commanded on Shrita, on the trachea, the esophagus, on the esophagus and trachea, on the esophagus and trachea, that by a bird it's, you only need to check the majority of one of those two, and on a, uh, you know, on a land animal you have to check both of them, or the majority of both of them. So if the verse is not teaching you that the Slav needed Shrita, what's the point of the word Shatawach spread out? It fell down layers, layers, which is probably a simple shot of the Pesukim. Okay, let's read one little, more little bit. Ksiv lechem, ksiv shemen. So it says that the man was tasted, was bread, but it also says that it t- tasted l'shav hashamen, like oil. Ksiv, and it says, dvash, that it tasted, it tasted with like honey. So which was it? So Amar for the young people it was like bread, which what young people want. The zakani for old people is shemen, which is more appropriate for their taste. And the tinokos tvash. And for the kids it was like honey, it was candy. I know. Ksiv slav, the karinan slav. It's written slav with a sin, but we read it like a samech. Which we all, which obviously a sin it can be a sop, read like a sop. I'm going to look at Sadiqim Bishalva, read it like a shin. The Sadiqim would eat it in, like, tranquility. Rishayim Ochun Mosov, Adolim Kisilon, the Rishayim would eat it and it would be like thorns and thistles. There are four types of quail. The Eluhain, and these are the Shichli, the Kizli, the Pisioni, the Slav. Fine. Ma'ayat the Kulu Shichli, the best is Shichli. Gariyat the Kulu Slav. Slav is at the bottom of the scale. And even Slav, which is at the bottom of the scale, the Havakitsi Porta, it's like this small bird. I don't know if they say what type of bird a Tsiporta is. Umosvinam Labatanura, you put it in an oven, you, you roast it in an oven, the Tapach, and it'll expand. It's so fatty that when you roast it it blow, you know it, it expands and it fills the oven so even the slav which is the worst of them is so delicious and so fatty that it will expand it fill up the oven when you roast it and you could put it on 13 sort of uh, you know uh, uh, slices of bread um, the achron and, and, the, and the fattiness will sit through will seep through all of the bread to the very bottom one um, and uh, and even the bottom slice of bread will, will become so so fatty that you can't even eat it straight you'll have to mix it up with something so again we're a little bit exaggerating but this is how amazing the slav was that God had given them Rabbi Yehuda Mishtachachle Rabbi Yehuda would find would find these quail between between the barrels like you know he would have uh, God would help him with his food and he would find this, these delicious quail hiding with, about, among his barrels and he would be able to eat them on a regular basis Rav Chizda would find it amongst the chips of wood Rav now Rav who was Rav Chizda's uh, uh, son-in-law and his student Rav Chizda 
every day his sharecropper would bring him some slug that maybe fell into the field. So this guy was a sharecropper. He was working Rav's field. He bred Rav of the slug. Yom Echad Loaisi. One day he didn't bring Rav any slug. No slug fell into the field. Amar, Rav said, My high. What's going on? Why was there no slug today? Stolikli Igre. He went up to the uh, roof. Shamei Yanuka, And he heard an infant that was uh, the comer, you know, often they hear infants or young, not infants, young kids reading verses and that's seen as some way of some, you know, some divine communication. I'm not discussing that now. The comer, Shamati Vatirgaz Bitni, I have heard and my stomach has become angry, upset, trembled. Amar, so something has happened and I'm not going to be eating as well anymore my stomach is upset so what must it be it must be that my father-in-law my Rebbe died now why does that affect me getting slaved because the student eats by virtue of the Rebbe okay so we'll end here but again I just want to point out how right in the discussion about fasting we have all this discussion about eating how exactly to translate it I don't know but you know again the fact that we can imagine in a time when eating was a really religious experience you know that's one thing uh, you know it's subjugating to God Rishayim Tzadikin etc and we also can sort of see about you know these you know obviously what's being spelled out here and it's a question exactly what value it's being given is the issue of indulgence like you know this whole recent discussion about the Slavs like, no problem sort of like talking about oh my god it was so delicious you wouldn't imagine what it would taste like you know the guy comes back from the vacation all he can do is talk about the food that he ate there Right, so we would feel that's a little bit inappropriate. I think it's fascinating that you didn't get that sense necessarily in some of these discussions in the Gemara. I think it's worth thinking about. On the other hand, there were elements that did talk about the process. What happens when you overindulge, you know, in why? But then Israel had everything and they were still complaining that it didn't taste like five things, you know. So it's interesting, again, to think about the broader message about what this tells us in terms of how we approach uh, the experience of eating. So more of this tomorrow.